Thank you. Thank you, my bishop. Thank you, mama. Let's remain standing for the reading of the word, and then we will go straight into. But those who cannot keep standing, please uh, feel free to sit. Uh, let's turn our Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. And we're reading from verse 12 to 21. Let's turn to New King James Version. Are we ready? Let's read. Know that I have already attained, or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which I had. I praise to all the goal for the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us as many as are mature have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that you have already attained, let us walk by the same rule Let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in following my example, and not those who so walk as you have asked for a pattern. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and I'll tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in the shame who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself." May the Lord bless his word. We may be seated. Now, Philippians is a very, very interesting epistle in many ways. But if one have to think in summary, what is the whole thing that makes us gather since Wednesday and then it run all the way to Sunday, money spent, people glued to the laptop, TV sets, other devices. What are we trying to gain through this theme? Pressing on in challenging times. This pericope that you just read right now is a portion of an entire body 
of a long letter that the pastor in prison wrote to a people in pain. Oh, you've missed it. Let me rewind again. Philippian is basically a letter of a pastor in prison writing to a people in pain. What is the purpose of writing? To give them important life lessons. So you and I, we are gathered tonight to learn some of the major life lessons. Paul was jailed in Caesarea Philippi, beaten almost to death. And through circumstances of God intervening, is released. And he's still healing from his wound when we read that Paul is moved quickly, less than a year. Paul is moved quickly to Rome and is jailed again. How would you want your leader being in prison time and again? Every time we talk about prison, we see some cells, you know, where people are put. But our leaders are in many prisons. Emotional prison, which is even more painful than the physical one. A prison of loneliness. But the Philippian church is not just dealing with our leader is not there. He was arrested. He was beaten. Things have gone wrong. We were praising you, God, for setting him free. What happened? He's arrested again. Christianity is tough. Yes, sir. Now the Philippian church is not just dealing with the issue of the leader who is in prison. But they're dealing with the pain of five horrible staff that are pressing the church all the time. And then Paul from Rome in his house arrest hears the news that this church is not doing well. Remember what Noaka said yesterday, the church is not the building, the people. Your people are not doing well. They are in pain. Can I be honest with you? I have been coming for more than 20 years. At least once a year. Sometimes twice. Where my daughter is sitting, there was someone so dear to me who always sat there. Never missed. I will come and see my brother-in-law Barnard right there. This is the first time I'm coming back home. He's not there. Not for a week. Not for a month. It will be for a long, long, long time. People deal with pain all the time. 
And Paul is in prison. But he understands something. If I don't do something for my people, the pain is going to wipe them more than the issue. Then he writes the epistle to the Philippians. When you study chapter after chapter, there's a big life lesson that Paul throws. What are we learning in chapter 3? That will be a subject of conversation today. In chapter 3, Paul is telling them simply, the only way for you to pursue God, Christ in this case, with total commitment, even in challenging times, you will need to adopt a mature view of life. That's the message. So today we are going to talk about adopt a mature view of life. It's a big, big thing. Why is that important? Because challenging times are real. Brothers and sisters, I am joining myself to the people who have gone ahead of me and then people are coming after me. I saw, you know, my favorite dad, Elijah Masonga, and he's coming on Sunday. You know, I just want to spend time with him. He cracks jokes all the time. (laughs) And then a bishop is there. But I'm just bringing a link to this thing. That if we can adopt a mature view of life, it doesn't matter what challenge we face. We will press on. That's the whole idea of Paul in chapter 3. He's telling them major, major stuff. But before we deal with a mature view of of life, can I deal briefly with challenging times? Because we need to know, brothers and sisters. I want to say two things about challenging times tonight. One, the nature of challenging times. We have to learn to understand these things. We have to learn to know these things. We have to learn to appreciate the nature of challenging times. The simple one. Are you ready? Challenging times keep coming. Oh, no. (laughs) You've missed it. Tell your neighbor, neighbor. Challenging times keep coming. You can never pray them away. You can never wish them away. You can never spiritual fight them. They do come again and again and again and again. One of my favorite scriptures that I've been rummaging around these days and I taught extensively are the chronicles that the guy wrote, who wrote, you know, First uh, Samuel and Second Samuel. It comes to the end of all these kings and kingdoms and stuff. It goes, how can I summarize David's 
Regency. Then he goes, I have an idea. I'm, I'm going to write some sequence. And in 1 Samuel 21, he writes from verse 15 something interesting all the way to 22 or 21. This is what he said. He began to chronicle the challenges that David faced. And there's a formula that he keeps using. And there was another war. Another battle. He fought again. What is he teaching us tonight? As long as you are alive, challenging times will come. That's the first thing. Christian have to, to mature. But the issue of challenging times is not just the nature of its repetitive attacks on families, on individuals, on churches, on countries. It just comes. Do you know how many times every day on a social media, radio set and stuff, the news of another lady killed, another person killed, keeps coming. It can drive you insane. I'm thinking about this student. For a student, his laptop is everything he has. His stuff are in, whatever he has to do is there. Why would you go on campus and want to take people's laptop? And a dream is cut short. Two are dead. The other ones, I don't know if they will make it. The trauma for the rest of the student. The feeling of we are not safe in this environment of high learning. You don't know. Our pain can be painful. And then when you're starting to breathe with this issue, in Cape Town, you hear a young teacher dreaming for another good day. Well, he will teach his kids a new thing. Sitting in his car waiting for the bell to ring and start his class, a pupil, not a student, a pupil, comes with a gun and shoots his teacher dead. Challenging times keep coming. And Paul is trying to tell us what we are learning today. Until you adopt, unless you adopt a mature view of life, life will defeat you. It will paralyze you. You will not manage to keep going on. But the second thing, before we shift gears, about challenging times, not only the nature, but I want to talk about the danger of challenging times. That's big. What is the biggest danger of challenging times? The danger of challenging times are not challenges. It is the wrong conclusion we come to. Ah, come on, you missed what you should have clapped or, you know, cried or did something, but do something in Jesus' name. <laughs> the danger of anybody, any church, 
any organization, any family, any individual facing challenging times is to come to wrong conclusion. If God was good, why? If prayer works, what then? If generosity turns things around, why am I jobless? Challenging times are dangerous, not because they keep coming, they keep coming, but number two, if you're not smart, they send you to wrong conclusions. Pasaloane. If you follow current events like me, there's a trend on our radios. Antagonism against the church have gone through the roof. People call to insult pastors. People call to insult churches. People are happy because the churches are closed. Why is that? I will surprise you. 99% of the people who are antagonizing the church have no clue about any doctrine of the church. No idea about the Bible. But you know what they say in common? Something went wrong in life. They came to a wrong conclusion. That's the point. So Paul is thinking, yes, I'm in prison, but I am better off than the people who are in pain. If I don't stop the pain, I will lose the Christian. So the first danger of challenging times is when you come to wrong conclusion, you begin to antagonize God and the things of God. Let me try the second one. Maybe to ring a bell. Have you heard the word atheist? I did a lot of studies on the guys. You know, this is a smart guy. But smart doesn't mean wise. Because they have one single stance. God doesn't exist. I give it to you. But if God doesn't exist, why do you write so many volumes of book running into millions about God to prove that he doesn't exist? church, you are allowed to clap your hands. Even if there's a social distance, that's the truth. Do you know what they have in common? Every single atheist in the world coming to wrong conclusion because of challenging times. So people begin to antagonize God and everything around God. People begin to deny the very existence of God. If that doesn't work, let me try the third one. Maybe it will work on you. If you, if you heard the words hedonism, yeah. Yeah. people who live for pleasure. These are the people Paul talks about that if God doesn't raise the dead, if there's no heaven, if God is a fluke, if all these are stories, let's drink, party, have fun, because anyway, tomorrow we die. 
we have in our townships, in our ghettos, people who get drunk when they open their eyes. Because they've come to the wrong conclusion. I never knew that our nation that I always thought is functional will have a big problem because alcohol is not sold. Oh my word. Am I preaching to the right people tonight? You can close your restaurant. You can close your supermarket. But my booze, no. Why do you think people behave that way? Challenging times. Wrong conclusion. But worse than the three that I've told you, Christians, challenging times produce discouraged disciples. That's the danger of coming to wrong conclusion. Most of us are in church bodily. Your physique have come. But you know that the drive that makes Christianity attractive have been taken from you because you are discouraged. But tonight, there's bomb in Gilead. The Lord is in the house. You will be restored in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. The devil is a liar. The devil is a liar. I'm encouraged that the leader in prison feels free enough to encourage people who seem to be free because freedom is not the presence of chance but it's the mind that they have been mature to understand what life is all about. Come on, give him praise in the highest place. Hallelujah. So, now we heard Pastor Ray, we heard you know, Bishop Nighty and we heard Bishop uh, Son himself many times and, and then Noaka, all the people have followed before. Read the same passage. <laughs> what is God saying? What is Paul telling us today about mature view of life? What is it exactly? Paul tells them three things that I want to leave with us. And my prayer, as you begin to look in the future with prophetic eyes, the position of church, the function of church, the speed of church, we will decide. No matter how life becomes challenging, we will press on. Because now we understand what life is all about. Ready? The first thing that Paul is telling them, a mature view of life is this, to believe that to live is Christ. Oh my word, you have, you have missed it by miles and miles and miles. The first thing that Paul is preaching to them, to live is Christ. Come on, give him praise. If you believe that to live in Christ, give him praise. If 
you believe that to live is Christ, give him praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, shout out to the Lord. To live is Christ. That is the most liberating, the most powerful thing. Thank you, Tate. You're going to go to heaven with that visa. Paul goes from a simple premise. This is the premise of Paul. Life is all that you put at the center of your living. Oh, let me try for those who are slow. Life is what you put at the center of your living. Whatever you make as central, that becomes life. And Paul is saying, challenges will come. Difficulties will come. We will lose loved ones. We will lose jobs. We will lose this. We will lose that. We will lose this. But if you know that Christ is life, then you are free. You can make family the center of your living. And if you make family the center of your living, anything that touches your family destroys you. Bad things happen. Bad, terrible things. Barnard is no more. This is not a game. He's gone. We will not see him. Michelle, that was my son. We travel everywhere with Bishop. He's gone. Michelle didn't die of COVID. He died of cancer. Leaving behind a wife and three children. He's gone. While you are still bleeding for the death of Michelle, Nyasha dies. We will say Michelle, Michelle lived to be 51 or 52. But what about Nyasha? Barely 32. Did he die of COVID? No. He died of a car accident. Bad things happen. Challenging times come. But if you put at the center of your living family, anything that touches your family will destroy you. And Paul is preaching to us tonight. To live is Christ. Come on, give him praise. 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 Oh, somebody give him praise. Hallelujah. If, if you put Christ at the center of your living, Christ is undiable. There's no resilience as Christ. You crush him, he comes back. You destroy him, he comes back. You discard him, he comes back. Christ is everything. Come on, give him praise. Hallelujah. You can put fortune at the center of your living. How about if that source of money is lost? What breaks us in life is not what you go through, but what you have put at the center of our living. 
God doesn't tell us to hate our families. God doesn't tell us to, to not pursue fortune. God doesn't tell us to stop having fun. But God says, don't put them at the center of your living. The old book of Philippians is resounding with one major truth. To live is Christ. To live is Christ. To live is Christ. Christian in the 21st century, in the pandemic, I came to repeat and remind each one of us, to live is Christ. We lost our economy. We lost 82,000 people to COVID. Soon it will be 83,000. America lost 650,000 counting. Brazil, 500,000 counting. These are staggering numbers. And if one is not careful, life will discourage you. Then Paul is writing. What I love about Paul, we went with my wife to Rome to see the cell jail where Paul was. You could barely move. But from that dim place, it's free. It's free. It's free. From that dungeon, he's a free man. With wounds that are not totally healed, he's a free man. Basics, am I talking to somebody? Listen to me. Read your Bible in 3D. is flogged badly in Caesarea Philippi. The wound are not completely healed. is on a shipwreck. Still scars. Shipwreck. Having lost everything. And a snake bites him. But in the midst of all that, Paul lays hands on people. Am I preaching to somebody tonight? You can serve the Lord while things are going wrong in your life. And he gets to Rome, not welcomed by the emperor, but welcomed by chance. In that condition, he has the courage to write to the few people to say rejoice. I tell you, always rejoice. Why? Because to live is Christ. The second thing Paul is telling them about adopting a mature view of life is this. To live with limitation is a normal part of life. Oh, my word. That, that, that's big. That's big. That's big. To live with limitation is part of life. If you have good eyes, do you remember this young man? Slangu? From Pumalanga? He was born diseased, 
When people of his age were dreaming of university, his legs were amputated. He's a gold medalist. <laughs> oh, my word. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Am I preaching to somebody tonight? Ha! I can live with stuff I don't explain, but still live. I don't know why I don't have legs, but I can run. I don't know when everybody else grows with a dad and mom. Mine are normal. But I can still find in God my heavenly father. If you live life trying to find an answer to every question, you will be depressed. Because there's stuff we will never, from this side of the curtain, find an explanation for. Now, what makes up for limitations? Thank you for asking. <laughs> Paul, Paul is a smart guy. Paul says every limitation in life, we can make up with three things. One, the presence of God. Oh, hallelujah. I don't know. I don't understand. I'm troubled. But God is with me. The second thing that makes possible to live with limitation is the power of God. Listen. God doesn't have power. He is powerful. No, you missed it. Let me rewind again. God doesn't have power because if you have it, it can be taken away. He is the staff. And power simply means ability to make things happen. I think I told you this story, but because it's so cool, let me say it again. I'm in north of Germany, and the church that hosted me gave me a young man to drive me around, and, and it's cold. It's cold up, up north. And the guy drives me around, and one day, he points to a building. So, Bishop, you see that building? So when we came to Germany, this is where we lived. And I said, tell me the story. Say, so our parents, who were six of us, decided to send us to Germany to study. And uh, we're doing well. One morning, we woke up and we realized we didn't have enough for breakfast. I volunteered to go buy what was missing. And I went to the shop, bought on my return, 
I saw the building gathered in fire. See, I stood and watched all five of my siblings burn to death. He said, we came to Germany, six of us, but I brought five coffins back to Congo. People go through stuff. But that boy, he's the most helpful, helpful boy in the church. Joyous all the time. Because when I cannot explain, his power can take me out of it. Come on. Come on. We are dealing with the issue of pressing on in challenging time. You cannot until you adopt a mature view of life. The third thing that keeps you going when you're limited in your answers is the wisdom of God. That can preach for a long time. This young man, I don't know, you know, I'm not God. Maybe if he had legs like us, he was going to be just like you and me. Known only by your neighbors. <laughs> May you be sanctified. But today is on TV. You watch how many people welcomed him at our tambo. He was welcomed by the president during the pandemic. If you don't know anything about winning a gold medal at the Olympics, 450,000 rands guaranteed. Because he got gold, because he got silver, the guy has money. God is wise. Listen, I've, I've, I've spoken about Joseph many times. Hated, sold, lied upon, jailed. When you calculate forgotten, when you calculate all these things, you can come to a wrong conclusion. But if you stand and go, I'm limited, but I know God is wise. After 13 years, Joseph is the number one. The sun and the moon and the stars bow before him. Trust the wisdom of God in your life. It will prove to be right. Let me give you the last one and then I will get you out of your misery. Paul is writing. Test them if you want to survive and live and thrive and keep going in this life. Make Christ the center of your life. To live is Christ. Number two, decide it's okay to live with limitations. As long as an unlimited God is on my side, he knows how to solve this. But the third one and the most powerful is this. For you to live, the mature view of life is simply 
To live with the end gain in mind makes the present pain bearable. Oh, you missed it. Let's rewind again. To live with the end gain in mind makes the present pain bearable. If you see how it will end up, you can put up with the nonsense of the present. And Paul is telling us it will end up in heaven. It will end up in the presence of God. It will end up seeing Jesus face to face. It will end up with our tears wiped away. It will end up well. That's what is preaching to them. I've got so many of you, university graduates, first degree, second degree, third degree, fourth degree, some even go postdoctoral. But you know why you put up with all the pain of studying, summarizing, researching? Because you have in mind the end game. Oh, my bishop, yes, God has created strange birds in this life. I'm talking with a friend, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a family cursed with blessing. <laughs> because there are five, all of them are PhD. All five. And I go, give me half. And then his, the big brother is, was my friend, you know, unfortunately passed on a couple of years ago. So we're talking, and the baby sister comes. She's a super brain. She teaches at GSP. She's a professor at Harvard. She's a member of NASA. She's a super brain. So she joined us at the restaurant, we're talking. And then, uh, you know, and our conversation goes, and then he goes into humility. So we're talking about humility. She pauses. She calls us big brothers. I said, big brothers, listen. It costed me too much to finish my PhD. Can you allow me to be called doctor? <laughs> and I thought, that's a smart girl. Christianity has cost us too much. Can we allow ourselves to be one that we God says, well done. Well done. You know, it, it sounds so ridiculously simple, but can I tell you the truth? That's the only motivation of my Christianity. I live for one single day. When I stand before him, and he looks me right in the eyes and he says, well done. That's all. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. What am I telling us tonight as you close? There's a race. Let's run. But there's not just a race. There's a rest. Run. One day you will rest. There's not only a rest, there's a reward. I live because I know 
one day, the rest will come to an end. We are hurting. Michelle is not hurting. Nyash is not hurting. Bana is not hurting. Anybody who died in Christ is not hurting. The race has come to an end. They are resting. No more COVID. No more rent. No more landlord, landlady. No more Christian who are, you know, funny. They are resting. But above all, they are crowns. They are crowns. They are crowns. They are crowns. And that's what it is. That's the story of Philippians chapter 3. Challenging times keep coming. If you come to a wrong conclusion, they will derail you. But if you adopt a mature view of life, you will press on regardless. What is it exactly? Make Christ the center. Number two, make peace living with limitation. Number three, see the end gain. You can put up the, with the present pain. May the Lord bless you. My Bishop, I love you so much. That's the end of it. Thank you. God bless you. Come on, give him praise. Come on, you can do better. Come on, you can do better than that. Come on, somebody, you can do better than that. Give the Lord praise tonight. Come on, somebody, give the Lord praise tonight.